Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined as always by my co-host, David Roberts. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. Hi, and welcome to the Permission to Be podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Vishnu Das. He also goes by Michael Gunger. Vishnu, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So, Vishnu, before we kind of get into interesting, kind of real weighty, heavy uh, questions and whatnot, uh, the question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast is that... Uh, inevitably, uh, when your platform takes off, and uh, that's an interesting question for you because in many ways yours already has, but, uh, and, you know, Hollywood decides to uh, pay you an absurd sum of money to buy your life rights and make a uh, biopic about your life. Uh, and in some weird turn of events, they give you at least the ability to speak into casting. Who does uh, Vishnu Das advise that they cast as Vishnu Das? <laughs> oh man, um, it can be multiple uh, people too. You know, I assume this has to be someone that looks like me. No, it can be whoever you want. I would enjoy uh, the the person who like weird level. He doesn't look anything like me, but I would, I would love Joaquin Phoenix to uh, be as weird as he can and be me. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a phenomenal answer. And I completely see how someone of his kind of range could totally pull off the contours of your story. So no, that's, that's perfect. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So Vishnu, this podcast that we have recently launched is based around, um, story and telling how we found ways to find our authentic selves, whether it was someone who gave us permission, um, whether it was different moments in our lives. Um, I would love um, for you to share a little bit about, I know there are different journeys and pieces that play into your life and you've shared a lot of those publicly. Um, But was there some key moments where you feel like you really found permission to be who you were? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like meeting science, Mike, my co founder of the liturgists co-host and best friend. Um, that was meeting, uh, meeting one of those kindred souls. It's like, Oh my, I don't have to filter anything. I don't have to pretend at all. Um, we can just totally let the hair down in any way, you know, just totally be myself. Um, and that was such an important friendship at such an important time Mm. in my life. It was at a time that I felt like an outcast and a time where I felt alone and, uh, afraid. Mm. And so that, that friendship was just the perfect permission to be me at that time age-wise when you all met that was probably more assuming in your adult life yeah 
What about growing up? Do you feel like that existed for you, that space to be authentic? Um, in some weird way, the stage always allowed me to be in a way that felt really authentic to me that was sometimes harder for me to 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 experience just in normal social circumstances. So mm-hmm. some of my like passion and energy and uh, exuberance that I'm an introvert. So I don't usually in like social setting, I, more these days than ever before. When I was younger, I was kind of, sh- I was pretty shy. And it's funny when people would meet me, especially like in the early days of Gunger, they'd see me all over the stage and ah, screaming and moving around. And then they'd, they'd meet me. I'd be like, hi there. Nice to meet you. And like, <laughs> sometimes that, that was interpreted as like, I was not into them or I was just arrogant and into myself or they didn't quite know how to take my really reserved nature. Cause they expected this big extroverted gregarious party guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the stage in a weird way was the allowed part of my personality to come out that I had a hard time doing otherwise. So Vishnu, we're going to, um, in a moment here, we're going to dive into the book, let you kind of talk about, about this and, uh, uh, answer some questions about it. But before we do that, um, I'm sure that you've probably talked about some of this, um, uh, whether it's on in the liturgist podcast, alien, the robot, or, or in another space. But I'm curious, um, kind of with this same lens, kind of, uh, you know, kind of things that have given you permission or, or spaces that you felt are spiritually or personally existentially life-giving and things like that. I've heard you talk about music and, you know, you've talked about the brilliance, talked about your brother's band and stuff like that. But I'm curious about other artistic areas, you know, you know, we kind of, with our, our little icebreaker question at the beginning talked about film and you mentioned Phoenix, but this is just a general curiosity kind of scratching that personal question for me, but like, are there other mediums, film, poetry, books, like other, other areas that, you know, in the, you know as you've kind of gone through this journey, you know, that you talk about in the book that we'll get to and other artistic mediums beyond the musical space uh, that either through the journey or now today, you know, in your life right now that you're finding energizing or life-giving or meaningful. It's funny that my, I'm a very focused person and I've never been much of like a hobby guy mm-hmm. or a, I'm, I've been mm-hmm. very single-minded through my whole life and it's pretty much been spirituality yeah. and music. That's yeah my jam <laughs> and they and they've gone together uh so aside from that i mean i've done no you know I, I like i love film but i've watched film a lot of times in a way that informs my music and spirituality <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so camp there for a second like 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 is there a is there a film or a handful of films you know top two top three where you're kind of like yeah that is that kind of fits the I don't want to use the word brand because that trivializes it, but that kind of fits the trajectory or the ethos or the, you know, of where you kind of feel your music and spirituality have gone. Yeah. Um, somebody told me one of my favorite compliments one time was that I was like a uh, kind of a Terrence Malick of music that is, I thought that was a very, like very yeah. spiritual um, and sometimes accused of being like Christian 
artist. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, know what I mean by that, but like, yeah, no, I know exactly. Uh, but yeah, trying, yeah. trying to make art, not religious propaganda, but not, mm-hmm. but loving to use religious imagery and language, mm-hmm. um, in the art, but the art was primary. Uh, so I've loved, I've always loved his films. I love, as far as like one of my favorite movies of all time, um, Oh, what's it called? About time. <laughs> okay, that's one of my favorite films nice. of all time. I, I nice. love that one. Just as far as like that kind of speaks a lot to my spirituality and being here now and the power of the moment. And there's so many ways that it comes at that point through time travel and stuff that I think is amazing. And I, I love sci-fi and um, absurdity and all that. So it, it was a beautiful like combo. Nice. Excellent. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit more. Your book released just a few days ago. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what started the journey to write this. I've always found writing to be therapeutic for me and, and a way of clarifying thought and seeing sort of the patterns of my life and Mm -hmm. seeing the stories that I've been inhabiting and walking through. And so as I had my giant sort of life shattering spiritual awakening in 2016, after that, as, as a person who has lived so much of my life in the public eye and so many of my beliefs have been walked out in the public eye. Yeah. Uh, and so many questions, like every concert we'd do as Gunger, somebody would be like, but what does Gunger believe mm-hmm. now? And I was like, <laughs> always at this, <laughs> at the forefront of the conversation, you know, I'm like, I'm just trying to make music. Why do you care what I believe? <laughs> um, knowing all of that, I knew I'd have to, to write what I had experienced down and what I was, how, the new way I was experiencing the world. It was so fundamentally different and, and richer and fuller and, uh, so in trying to put words to what was happening in a way that created meaning and context in a way that I could process what was going on, um, mm. and as a way of sharing that, continuing to share my journey with those who had been interested, <laughs> yeah. um, I wrote a book and it, co- it took a couple of years to write and found it got clearer as it as it went as far as like I, st- I have a few iterations of it in my mm-hmm. computer um, and they're all a bit different, but they're, I, in, I just kept writing. I just kept putting it out and even in, interestingly finding ties in my own story of what led me to that point that I hadn't realized before I started writing. Oh, cool. It's kind of like a really, that's the therapeutic part of it. It's like, I didn't, really realize how closely my sexual shame was tied to my deconstructive mm. process. I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen that clearly. I had thought it was about thoughts and ideas hmm. and, and didn't see how, uh, how really normal things like shame and like wanting mm-hmm. my daddy to love me <laughs> and my brothers and sisters to still like me and, you know, like yeah. all yeah. part of it and all, all of it goes together. Did you find there was a lot of, because um, I mean, you, you even said it a second ago, you've had this public platform for so much of your life. And then even even in the kind of this post-enlightenment deconstruction kind of shift that you've had, you know, between 
the liturgist platform that you've had and stuff like that, like that journey has been played out very publicly as well. Yeah. So, so, so what in your experience, what, what, what new kind of nuance was brought to the table, kind of putting it to, to, to written form as opposed to, you know, talking about it, having, you know, liturgist gatherings, you know, talking to Mike, talking to the other co-hosts yeah. about it. I would always kind of hint at the stuff and it, the thing is, I felt to really fully say, to say it, it needed a book. It wasn't mm-hmm. something I could put in a podcast um, to really dive through. I could say something short, like, this is all God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that doesn't, that means a thousand things to a thousand different people. Like, what, is the, what does that mean? Um, so, to move, I had to get, I feel like to really say that, I had to give context with what I'm used to think that it meant Mm -hmm. and then how that evolved, how I let go of that, what it, in order to like even give any sort of context of what I might possibly mean by that now. And that takes time. Like it's just, it needed time to develop the whole context in order to say what I wanted to say. I think a lot of times in the modern culture, we, we don't pay much attention to context. Mm -hmm. Like we, we just take the thing that we say as though every person from every intersection of identity and every religious background would understand it in the same way. Sure. We say a word like God and you have your idea of what that means. And it means something completely different to somebody else from a different tradition or a different walk of life. And so all of these ideas in this book, they're not, they're so alien to how I used to think. And I think so alien to our culture, especially in what in the West that I feel. And I didn't want to write a book also that was just full of like Eastern jargon. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of people that have said all this kind of thing, but a lot of times people talk about, they just use the Sanskrit and then all of a sudden everybody's dressed in beads and right. <laughs> using, <laughs> talking about samsara or whatever. And it's like, nope, nobody else knows what the hell they're yeah. talking about. Right? Just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I tried to speak in English mm-hmm. and root it in my story, but find a way to translate between worlds. Mm-hmm. I like something you said in there because um, I've been thinking about this. I mean, you know, we've we've been knowing that we had this interview coming up, and so I've been trying to play catch up a little bit, listen to some of the podcast episodes that I've missed, and and kind of come to this realization that, like, and once again, you hinted at it a moment ago. Like, oftentimes people, at least the the the, the the portrayal of people who have a platform is often that they have a platform because they've kind of gotten to a point where they've kind of come to some conclusions or, or, you know, they've be kind of, you know, they've kind of got the way like, okay, I now know what I know about this thing. And so I have this platform where I'm going to share it. And for both advantageous and perhaps disadvantageous, you know, circumstances, you, you've kind of had the blessing and the curse of, of having your whole journey kind of public from the start. And, and so there's yeah. this, you know, you kind of mentioned that, you, you know, um, there's things that you've hinted at in the podcast before, but really needed to take the time to sit down and reflect on them and stuff like that. And so, so yeah, I don't even know if there's a question here, but more of it's a, you know, an empathetic acknowledgement that, that, that yeah, that's, that there's a lot there <laughs> of kind of having to, um, kind of having to process these things both publicly and privately simultaneously. And so I'm sure... I'm sure being able to kind of actually kind of sit down and, um, you know, kind of hone those thoughts and, and kind of get them all out on, on paper was, I can see the therapeutic element to that, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, 
It's also been deepening, uh, helping to clarify it and use language has helped me kind of also focus on my practice and what, what am I, what am I holding as important in my life as far as, uh, cause in that big awakening in 2016, the world shifted and I saw my ego mechanism. But even to say that there has to be some kind of words that like the words help if I wouldn't have had any words and it was just a, mm-hmm. a memory of a feeling that I had, um, that's, you know, that would have been a beautiful experience still, but some of the words can help remind me kind of the, what, they help remind me of when thoughts come and when experiences come that would try to pull me mm. into old ways of being old ways mm. of experiencing. Yeah. Um, I can set up like practices in my life that, that it, like I set last year, 2018, and then it's continued into this year, I set the intention of embodiment. And, and that was my intention for the year. And it's with that word kind of constantly in my life, I just am constantly reminding myself of it. If I get into a circumstances that's cause, causing stress, that's causing sadness, that's whatever, um, a word like embodiment, and I have it there at my disposal and remembering what I'm doing, what I'm working on in my life, mm-hmm. I can I can follow the feelings in my body rather than the mm-hmm. thoughts about what's wrong. And that's a different way of experiencing right now. It's like when I pay attention more to what's actually happening in my body, yeah. the thoughts come and they go um, and I'm not repressing anything and the feelings get to actually fully be felt yeah. And and then moved through. And so, so that kind of language. So writing the book also was discovering and plotting out a course in a way of like, um, what do I do with this experience of here and now? And how do I, is it possible to deepen it? Is it possible to share it in order to help other people suffer less? Is it all that, all those questions, like what's going on and how, do, what does this mean for how I interact with the world? Demand some words, even though what we're getting at, what I'm trying to get at, can't be actually nailed down with words. Words can be helpful. Yeah, words often get trapped in that dualistic <laughs> yeah. definitions that we've grown, especially those who have grown up in the, a religious, um, fundamentally religious background. Going back to the, what you're talking about with embodiment, um, I know for those of us who struggle with anxiety, um, just learning to... Um, walk through the anxiety instead of what you're saying, suppress it. That has been a huge journey for myself um, yeah. that I'm now um, trying to actually help my seven-year-old walk through learning oh, to be embodied. And, but that's, I don't know that that's something that I wish somebody had taught me. Um, not at the, yeah. Not at the age of 30. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. But yeah. at, at the age of, any honestly anytime <laughs> i know uh, oh, we have hillary mcbride is one of our co-hosts on the liturgist podcast mm-hmm. and all of our lives have been significantly enriched like our whole friend group here in los angeles is like we weren't thinking about trauma none of us were thinking about how trauma might be stored in our body mm-hmm. and how that might be impacting how mm-hmm. what like why do i always overreact when mm-hmm. somebody is really black and white prohibitive mm-hmm. that that's that's something that just a couple months ago, Mike said, hey, I've noticed when people get kind of legalistic, your body 
like reacts in a little different way than normal. Like you're not bothered by very much these days, but I notice your body kind of takes a different posture. And he'd mm. learned that like, this is all from like trauma therapy and he's been really paying attention to that in himself. And it was yeah. a really great gift that he gave me that I got to look at that and be like, wow, there is actually some memories that I had for, I did some work on that. And like, w- there's something under that. Mm-hmm. What, oh, look at that. This is about that Sunday school teacher that was touching girls, but telling us to not touch girls. And I thought that there was some malicious thing about just my body felt like people being legalistic was inherently malicious. Mm. So then I got to remind my body like, hey, listen, the people in your life are not doing this to you right now. Like nobody's. um, So anyway, all this stuff, it's like these treasure troves of understanding of the body. And I think it's fairly new in some in psychology and like speaking historically, like I don't think people have known it for a whole long time, but having some people like Hillary McBride, really Hillary McBride has been the yeah. one that opened the whole box for our whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're all helping each other and like, look at that. Oh, there's trauma. There's, uh, but yeah, man, there's so much that we didn't even think of growing up and we had no idea. People yeah. that went to therapy were crazy people. Oh yeah. You know, Oh my gosh. When I went to my first therapy session, uh, age, well, probably 30. Um, yeah, I cried all the way there because I thought I was broken. And I well, thought I yeah. didn't have enough faith in God. So I mm. must have screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. We got it now. Yep. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but what is how cool that your daughter is getting that now? At seven, yeah. is that what you said? Or my son, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's a daughter too. She's just younger. Projected <laughs> my own daughter under there. Who's eight? There's a daughter too. I have one of each, but it, it's my son who uh, I can see the anxiety in him. And honestly, I'm just so thankful that I can say to him, "Let's focus on breath. Let's let's say to our anxiety that it's okay." and not fight it and walk through it instead of telling him to pray about it. Yeah. Um, because that was the answer that I was given for um, all my life. And yeah. I, I'm not saying prayer's bad, but there's also our bodies are amazing. And um, the spirit, uh, I believe that there's a bit of God in all of us. And if we take a look who we are as people and acknowledge that there's so much power to find those, um, those hidden memories that you were talking about earlier, um, that are yeah. bought, everything's connected. And if we, I learned this from Hillary, uh, if, if we don't pay attention to all parts of our bodies, um, then it, you're not a whole, hmm. you're cognitive, your yeah. muscle, um, from your head. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I've got nothing against prayer either, but there is something about how I was taught to pray that it always mm-hmm. felt like a, looking out there for the mm-hmm. answer yeah. rather than even like the contemplatives in the, in the Christian tradition, they said the same thing as the, as the mm-hmm. other contemplatives and mystics from the other religions, which is like, look inside mm-hmm. God. And if you're going to pray, don't just look out there for mm-hmm. some being in the sky, like look into your very self. Uh, and and moving that way is a, is a more fruitful uh, mm-hmm. looking and searching I, in in my experience than looking out into space for some right. spirited guy to do something. 
So circling back to something you said a, a little bit earlier. So, you know, you got this question and I've heard you talk about this before, how everyone, you know, you know, uh, you guys all even talked about it on the, on the, on the, this episode of the liturgist recently where everyone's always like, well, what does Michael believe? What, do, what does Gunger believe? You know, and, and stuff like that. And part of, um, part of the book is to some degree, like you said, putting language to that. So do you see, or do you care, um, if they're uh, about any possible opportunity going forward to like you to some degree you answered that question now you wrote a book about it and so is there do you see opportunity for i don't know what the word i'm looking for is dialogue or translation um because i've even found you know as i've as i listened to some of you some of the episodes about the book kind of leading up to this interview with you um there was a few kind of aha moments i had where i was like oh I know what he's talking about now. Like I've kind of been hearing you here and there mm. kind of bits and pieces of it in other podcasts. But then as you've talked about the book, it's like, oh, I know what he means. That's not the language that I'm familiar with, but that that resonates as conversing mm. with this other idea that I had from this other corner of Christian spirituality mm. or something like that. And and for me, at least that those aha moments were yeah, helpful. Yeah. So is there, is there, do you see maybe a way forward for those persistent questions of what is Michael Gunger? What is Vishnu Das believe now that you kind of have a something to point mm-hmm. back to and kind of say, well, here's the language I used. I hope so. Uh, more than I, I hope that my heart comes across in the book. That's what I, that's what I wanted the most because the truth is that I love, um, I love the journeys that people are on mm-hmm. and I have no desire anymore to like disrespect things that are important to people. Like if, if intercessory prayer is really important Mm -hmm. to you and part of your spiritual practice, I have Mm -hmm. no desire to like shit on that or to make fun of that or it's not intercessory prayer is not really my jam. Um, But I'm happy to have a conversation about it. And, and even like, especially if that conversation gets to lead us to mm. what what's under that, mm. what's under that desire for intercessory prayer or mm. desire to sure. not have intercessory prayer, <laughs> um, whatever it is. So I, I love, I, I love having conversations with people that see things differently than me. Mm. I think it can do nothing if we, as long as we stay in love and if we put the egos in the driver's seat, then sure. It's just going to devolve into, Whatever is happening on Twitter. Um, Yeah. But but if we could actually see each other and and come to to, you know what? Even more than conversation, I am interested in conversation. I'm interested in inter-religious conversation. I'm interested in human-to-human conversation about what's most meaningful to you. But under that, I have. The, the thing that I love most is just presence. I love being with people of different energies and of different um, everything. I think the variety of human stories and human experience is so beautiful and rich. And I don't know, we've been, Lisa and I were talking last night about mm-hmm. having some presence parties <laughs> where we just all get people together and just shut up. Because how often does, do words get in the uh, way so much. Of, of what we really all just want, which is just to be seen and loved, yeah. right? I mean, we just not, and we put all these words out there to flash our feathers to try to get people to think we're cool or smart or 
sexy. Um, but we're doing that because we just, we don't want to be alone. We want to be with each other and we want to be loved and seen. And so I don't know, as, as however I can get to that the most direct way as possible. If we have to use words, fine. Um, but I, I really want to be and commune with, mm-hmm. with people from all different sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the joys of life. And one of the greatest things that we have going is in our society now, like there's all sorts of ills in our society, of course, but we, we have together created a crazy, powerful society that allows us to connect with people all over the globe. Mm-hmm. And um, we can travel and see the world and experience life in a way that's not just my village and my six friends for my entire life. Yeah. What an amazing opportunity to be alive at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Yeah. So here's a question that keeps coming to mind. How, how do I don't know. Well, I guess I was just thinking about the ego and that is, you know, we go from looking from God out there to maybe deconstructing our faith, but Mm -hmm. then a lot of times we get hung up in that spot of ego Mm -hmm. and, and, or maybe we don't even know that that's where we're hung up. What has been parts of your journey of letting go of the ego. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny that even, even with the ego, my relationship has evolved because at first it was, I was completely blind to it. Mm. Had no idea it was operating at all. Yeah. Um, but then I saw it and paid it and, or at least actually at first kind of became aware that there was an ego theoretically. Mm-hmm. and tried to kind of pay attention to uh, what was in my in my current experience was being informed by the ego versus, you know, I had some idea of a higher self or yeah, which could be maybe boiled down to fear versus love or something mm-hmm. like what, what in my actions is, is, and in my decisions, am I consulting fear or am I consulting love? Mm. Um, and then I, th- I feel like I had an even a deeper experience with the ego of uh, of really seeing it and how how much of all of my questions and all of the stuff was directly from that and not from this idea of a higher self, that higher self was my ego in fancy clothes. <laughs> um, and, and then in that, there was a temptation to kind of want to dismiss the ego entirely because I could see how much suffering came from the ego yeah. for myself and for others. And it became kind of a monster almost like, I forget who this was. I'm, somebody, uh, my friend Pete the other day told me about this example that somebody used. I think maybe it was Duncan Trussell um, mm. about the ego being sort of like this big Harry and the Hendersons mm. ape. <laughs> and when you see it and you see the, the harm that it's possible it's caused a lot of us start throwing rocks at it like get out of here mm-hmm. um but actually what I, the last couple of years i've learned i've been learning and even this year in particular not just my own ego but other people's egos as well learning to love the ego mm. um 
And rather than having it be your master, having it like control and guide everything, learning to have it as a friend Mm -hmm. and, and love it and be gentle with it and see that it's been there Mm -hmm. to protect you. Mm -hmm. It's been since you were a kid there Mm -hmm. to like, keep you safe and whispering thing. It's, it's been a protector for you. And so we don't need to throw rocks at it. We don't need to shoo it away. We don't need to dismiss it or deny it as far as like in a, in a hateful way or in a repressive way, but just to see it, to know like, okay, we don't always need to be taking our marching orders from you. (laughs) Um, But thanks. Thanks for speaking up because I know you're speaking up out of love for my body Mm. and trying to keep me safe. And in that kind of, change in that little shift um in my relationship with the ego it's it's made life better it's just it's made uh it's made it all funnier (laughs) (laughs) it's made um there's an absurdity to it there's a wonder to it there's a magic to it and you know i've had like with some psychedelic experiences uh total ego death where i really there is no awareness of a of a person um or a sense of separateness and that's you you can't operate like i have a story in the book where i ran into a glass wall yeah (laughs) Um, and that's you you can't function as a human being without some sense of ego so it's a gift it really is a gift to being able to live our lives uh, as long as you don't give it the keys and say drive Do you have a favorite part of your book? Um, I kind of like the poems. Um, yeah. I like the part that I that I imagine pe- a lot of people might. It might be people's least favorite part of the book, uh, parts of the book. But the the three, this is. I, I'm not sure. I haven't heard feedback about this yet. But the, this is God. This is awareness, and this is love. Mm-hmm. That's where I really kind of become more constructive about some stories to tell um, about some, some sort of helpful stories for me with language and with being to talk about reality to that's sort of the theology, theological work for me of the book. That's those are positive. I'm, I'm making um, arguments in that part of the book of here's how, here's how, some helpful ways I think we can combine stories from the East, from the West, from mm-hmm. theism and atheism and non-theism, like all these different ways of seeing the world. I think there's some interesting combinations of stories that if we, we can glimpse some of the wisdom from all of these approaches and, yeah. and think of some of these words in new ways. Um, but that's a little bit more philosophical. And so I, I don't know, it's not as easy to read as some of the story sections and all that, but that's where a lot of uh, the more, I'm not, I don't know if I wouldn't call any of the thought original thought in the book, but it's, (laughs) it is more like my um, contribution to a non-dual discussion, I think. I mean, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I didn't know that part was in there. And now that's the part I'm most interested in reading. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I hope you enjoy it if you read it. (laughs) I'll tweet at you or something if I don't. I would say that I am um, about halfway through and I would suggest people get the audio book just because 
it, um, and I don't know what the dividends are versus oh, that's great. That's um, great. actual hard yeah. copy, but um, part of it, listening to your story and just, um, there's something that's even, it's, it's hard to explain, but there's almost a, you're verbally saying it, but there's a nonverbal mm. emotion being admitted because it's coming yeah, yeah. from you. And, and I'm, I'm really big personally on listening to audiobooks that are um, done narrated by the author was just, it's a, it's a different experience. There's um, you're verbally saying things, but the spirit in the nonverbal is coming through. And I really, I always enjoy listening to audiobooks um, that are narrated by their authors. And one thing I thought about as um, I was listening to um, your book, this is the part that you were sharing about your dad. And um, I wondered, as I listened to you say those words, um, and you talked about earlier in Mm -hmm. um, our discussion tonight, you talked about how this was a two year process and there was a lot of learning. Um, I was, curious was it also in writing this a lot of triggering as well yeah uh i mean triggering in a good way not not Mm. in like it it tied together memories that i didn't know were tied together um and actually like the inclusion of the story about daisy where there's a little girl that we kind of had a curious sexual yeah um thing that started and then we got caught and we were just little and um Mm. I hadn't thought of that story in a long time, yet alone tied it to my deconstruction story. But it, I actually had an EMDR session um, with a therapist, and that, in in moving some mm-hmm. of my moving through some of my dad stuff, um, it just brought me to that memory, and I was like, "Whoa!" and mm-hmm. saw had never seen the tie between my religious fundamentalism mm-hmm. and passionate desire to be clean before God, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. That was constantly my whole life until I became an atheist. Um, how that was tied to that little boy being curious about what a girl looked like without her clothes on and then yeah. being caught and feeling dirty and um, just so ashamed. Like I'll never do that again. Um, so yeah, it was, it was writing about it uh, and going to therapy and doing all the other stuff, knowing Hillary McBride <laughs> and in my life all informed how the book was written, why I wanted to tie mm-hmm. like story elements to it. Cause it would have been easy just to make it about ideas. Um, Cause I have plenty of those, but to, I felt like to, again, to, to include my own story and how those ideas came about and, and why they were not, clean and separated yeah. from my life experience actually supported the whole message of the mm-hmm. book, which is how it all goes together. And it's all basically at the end of the story, just this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So the, the last question, Vishnu, uh, that we kind of have made a point to ask everyone, um, and just for some context, um, both our audience, but also a lot of the people we've had on are people whose ensemble of their story has been similar. They've come out of, um, some sort of faith tradition, usually some form of more conservative fundamentalist Christianity, wherein, um, and I know this is a little bit your background as well, wherein the notion of salvation is very paramount. And Mm -hmm. the definition of that word is usually about 
one kind of the the, the result of it is usually some sort of post-mortem existence up in heaven with god mm-hmm. and kind of the conditions of it are usually related to some of the stuff you've talked about kind of this deep sense of shame separation dirtiness so on and so forth and in some magical way the blood of jesus procured you know by the father killing a son you know your penal substitutionary atonement Etc. Etc. And so, mm-hmm. and so, of course, that's been discarded. And, and and for some of the people we've talked to on this podcast, um, the the word of salvation, the category of salvation, just doesn't have a lot of value for them anymore. But for others, yeah. the, the the term or the idea, the concept has been reclaimed, or redeemed, or reimagined in some way. And so, so for you, kind of as you've gone through this process, you wrote the book, like, um, what does the what does the word salvation mean, if anything, uh, to you? today in this moment hmm yeah salvation is one of those words that didn't mean anything to me for a long time as well after i kind of let go of the the hell piece of needing to make sure that i was going to be in the good place rather than the bad place for all eternity um then it was kind of like what is salvation that you know it it evolved but it for a while just became kind of this yeah, kind of ambiguous. So, I mean, I guess like your life is slightly better if you live in love. <laughs> uh, that's salvation, yeah. but what's the big deal? Um, um, and then this is—it's hard. It's hard to talk about directly. It's—it's it's better to talk about. I think, like Jesus mm-hmm. did with stories, um, and that's again why I told it. I tried to anchor it in in story, my own story. But when you talk about the pearl of great price or, or like the whole, you have to give up everything. And then there's this thing or the, or being born again, like that's a metaphor, but, but there really is a way of experiencing the world. And I don't think this is, I don't think this is in the imagination of almost all of us. Um, it's more in the in the imagination of some Eastern traditions, but even like when yeah. you talk about enlightenment or nirvana or something like that. But even in those traditions, I feel like there's still for most religious practitioners some idea of what that means as far as like for a lot of Buddhists, enlightenment means you, you get to get off of the wheel of reincarnation so mm-hmm. that you don't have to keep being born again and again in suffering and you just get to cease to exist. Which is not that yeah, great. It's really not any. The atheist still. It's funny. Like the atheistic view, scientific materialism, is more hopeful than that because then everybody <laughs> just gets to do that. And it's also, I think, the scientific materialistic view is also more hopeful than traditional Christianity because, like. You're gonna you're gonna be okay. Survive even if you get to go to the good place. Or you, you're you're really gonna be okay for eternity. Most of humanity yeah, burning and yeah. suffering forever. That's <laughs> crazy. Um, Aquinas said we get to watch. <laughs> like and somehow that's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh <my> <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's funny. Like up uh, salvation until until 2016 for me was like, I don't, I don't really get it. And for me at this point, sorry, this is a long answer to your question, but um, it really is. I'll try to put it as plainly 
and this I've never said like this before, but it's hard because you're what I'm trying to do is like say something in a way that hasn't been said by the, all the great traditions. That's what they're mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. They're talking about this. And how do you talk about it? And so the, all the brilliant spiritual geniuses like Jesus and Buddha and all the rest of them um, had really brilliant ways of talking about it. But it's not something you can really talk about. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal true Tao. And it, but simply put, it's this. Yeah. That's why I called yeah. the book this. <laughs> it's being alive to this mm. moment as this moment that without boundaries, without clenching down Mm. in fear or um, allowing the ego to, to have the identity story. It's like at this point, thinking about something like the afterlife is as silly to me as if we were talking about the afterlife of a fingernail, (laughs) because what do you like? If that's what I was identified as, is my right thumb nail, Mm. And that's me. And we have all these theology books about well, what happens after the right thumbnail falls off. Does it, you know, does it go into the upper thumbnail realms of the? It's like, what do you? Not the thumbnail. What is, it's just a thing. Like, <laughs> so it's an identity issue, and it's when the identity moves from being this small, separate somebody that has to have the world a certain way, including that I want my sense of separateness to exist for all of eternity with my memories of like, my brother's name is Robert. (laughs) And that has to exist for all of eternity. Um, (laughs) Then it's like, that's suffering. And that is the, that's what the Buddhists would, that's the samsara. That's the dream. That's the, the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's the kingdoms of the earth. Mm-hmm. That's what fill in your metaphor. Yeah. Um, and when you let go to thy kingdom come, thy will be done to uh, the void, to, <laughs> to Nirvana, to this, whatever it is. And it's, it's really, it's a letting go. It's a surrender. And in the surrender, in the death, then there is new life mm-hmm. in, in the seed falling to the ground mm-hmm. and dying and letting go of trying to control her world. Suddenly she sees who she really is, mm-hmm. which is all of this, mm-hmm. which is God. Um, and that's not, a, that's, it sounds so heretical, blasphemous, <laughs> stupid, whatever, from the ego perspective, yeah. like I'm God, there's, the thumbnail is God. No, the thumbnail is not, God separate from the rest of it. (laughs) And this is not even pantheism in the way that we tend to think of pantheism in the way I'm saying it, but it's, it's the unspeakable. It's an experience. It's a union um, that all the great mystics talked about from all the great religions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't know that that's what I was trying to get at with the book, this, and that's what the whole book is trying to get at Mm -hmm. is salvation. Mm. That was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, wow, there you go. <laughs> Vishnu, so I know a lot of people probably already know where to find you on the liturgist um, as well as Gunger music, but just in case the small percentage that doesn't, um, where can they find you? How can they get your new book? all that good stuff. Yeah. You can also just go to michaelgunger.com and Perfect. that should show, hopefully I have probably website needs to be better, but I'll, <laughs> but yeah, aside from the liturgists and Gunger music, michaelgunger.com. And then I'm, I'm on 
Instagram and Twitter and all that is Michael Gunger. Awesome. Thank you, Vishnu, for uh, spending this time with us and for sharing your story and um, being willing to put the time and effort into writing it down in your book. Um, I think that in itself um, is a gift of being a part of this community we call humanity. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We are available on all the major podcasting platforms. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guests in the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. We do hope that you will join us for our next episode.